Now I'll count up to 12, and you keep quiet, and I will go. It sounds a little like a game of hide-and-seek, doesn't it? That's starting to become a popular game at our house. One recent afternoon, after picking up my two-year-old daughter from childcare, she suggested that we play hide-and-seek in our backyard. Now, I had some things that I really needed to get done at home, and it was time to start making dinner, but Sarah begged for us to play in the cool cloudiness in the backyard. Okay, yes. This is the kind of stuff that is important, showing up for my daughter and being present in her world. Of course I have 10 measly minutes to play a game of hide and seek. So she covers her eyes like this <laughs> and starts counting. One, two, three, four. And I go around the corner of the house and hide. And there I am alone for a few moments in stillness. And what do I do? I pull out my phone and check my email. <laughs> and my child rounds the corner to discover me crouched over my phone. Yet another instance of me with my face in a screen instead of facing her, instead of facing the world around me. Annie Dillard reminds us that how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and with that one is what we are doing. This is the final service in this month's worship series about seasons of passage. Our lives are one great season of passage. Our lives are punctuated by the great turnings we experience, births and deaths, the beginnings and endings of relationships, shifts in our identity. But the fabric of our lives is mostly woven from the way we spend our regular days. These days that begin and end never again to be reclaimed. And it is shockingly easy to forget in the day-to-day -day routine of living, caught up in our tasks and our goals, our griefs and our obsessions. It's easy to forget that the finitude of life, this is easy to forget when we get stuck in that awful trap of I'll really start living when, I'll really start living when I advance more in my career, once the kids move on to that next phase, when I fall in love, when I retire, when I've got it figured out. It is easy to forget that each day of this mysterious and beautiful life could be our last. So what are we doing with our days? It appears that we are very concerned with staying busy. This is the subject of Bridget Schulte's recent book, Overwhelmed, Work, Love, and Play When No One Has the Time. Schulte talks to sociologists, time researchers, politicians, and lots of regular folks about how we spend our time and why in this hyper-connected age of so many conveniences, many people are feeling busier and more harried than ever. 
In her book, Schulte introduces the work of Anne Burnett, a scholar of how the language we use creates our reality. Burnett studies Christmas cards and holiday letters. She keeps thick files filled with thousands of holiday cards dating back to the 1960s, adorned with candy canes and Christmas trees. As time has passed, these holiday letters have quickly dispensed with the blessings of the season, and instead they dive right in to the overscheduled busyness of the writers' lives, saying things like, our schedules have always been crazy, but now they're even crazier. We've had an action-packed year. I don't know where my time goes, but it seems that I work hard all the time and never seem to accomplish anything. <laughs> the following words and phrases show up with amazing frequency. Hectic, whirlwind, consumed, crazy, hard to keep up with it all, on the run, way too fast. It turns out that the more that Burnett read, the more she saw that people seem compelled to be, or at least to portray their lives as being busy, living life constantly on the go, as if showing off their near superhuman ability to cram an ever greater number of activities and achievements into a finite amount of time. We are living in a dominant culture obsessed with being productive and staying busy. Now this may not be the culture of your family or your community. This obsession with being busy, I would venture, is a product of a dominant culture characterized by whiteness, maleness, and a middle-class identity. A system that we're all swimming in and affected by, even if we don't personally identify with it, or even if we actively resist it. In our dominant culture, being busy says that you have value. Your life has purpose. You are important, and your living isn't just taking up precious space on Earth. No, you are really accomplishing things, and therefore, you matter. Taking time for rest or for play can be something we feel guilty about. Maybe it looks like a sign of weakness, or a lack of commitment, or even flagrant indulgence. Being in a position where we're not able to fill our calendars, or be busy in ways that are widely viewed as productive and useful, that can leave us feeling invisible, undervalued, and less than. <clears throat> our dominant culture puts us in a perverse theological position. It encourages us to use our busyness to answer religious questions about our purpose, about life's meaning, and about the value of our very existence. For some of us, this desire to feel a sense of worth and purpose is what's driving our hectic lives. And for others of us, our overflowing and chaotic days are not driven by a cultural pressure, but by sheer necessity. Working multiple jobs to make ends meet, dealing with countless layers of red tape to get access to health care and other services, 
paying for childcare so that you can work, so that you can pay for childcare. This chaos also has a corrosive effect on our soul and our psyche. So many of us end up with this sense of never fully showing up anywhere in our lives. Instead, we're always mentally inhabiting multiple places. Multitasking is a way of life and constantly listening to a tape loop of all the things we should be doing. Experiencing our time in this way is so common that time use researchers have given it a name, contaminated time. Contaminated time is a kind of mental pollution. Your brain is stuffed and overwhelmed from juggling multiple agendas and multiple roles. Your brain could be stuffed, for example, with the demands of work, with family logistics, with your kids' calendars, with health concerns, the needs of an ailing parent or loved one, searching for employment, financial woes, any number of things. And our connection to our phones and our other devices has contaminated our time more than ever, taking our devices with us to bed, to the dinner table, to the bathroom, or perhaps into a game of hide-and-seek with a small child. Our devices generate an expectation of constant availability, and they can tempt us into multitasking and distraction nearly every waking moment. And even though it doesn't take much actual time to check your email at 10 p.m. or to just Google something real quick, it creates the sense that we've never really left the office or that we can't set aside our to-do list and just live. This abundance of contaminated time ends up leaving our personal lives feeling chaotic, our work lives or our searching for work lives feeling endless, our leisure time feeling polluted or non-existent, and our spirits feeling thin and brittle. This from our reading this morning. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt the sadness. You remember Anne Burnett and her Christmas cards? Well, she and her colleagues examined a random sample of 600 Christmas cards looking for signs of people living authentic lives. They found only 32. One of them read like this. Dear friends, hither and yon, in this my 80th season, I'm learning that life is increasingly a process of letting go of loved ones, family, and friends who have been closer than family. Of special places I've loved to be and things that have been a joy to do. Another one describes how a near fatal accident made the family more aware of the transience of this lovely time together. What will it take? What will it take to stop worshiping at the church of busyness, productivity, and status? 
and to instead authentically come home to our lives, whole and present? What will it take to show up simply and fully for the people, commitments, and loves that are worthy of our greatest loyalty? What will it take to cultivate pockets of presence and gratitude, time free of contamination and distraction? Will it take a car crash? A marriage ending? A crushing diagnosis? The answer has to be no. Over and over again, we have to push aside the loud and empty demands of a culture that does not care about us and say yes to living, yes to wholeness, yes to love. That's what this church is about. Every time you show up here on a Sunday morning, you are accepting an invitation to remember how your value is not related to how productive you are, how busy your schedule is, or whether your life bears one single traditional marker of success. Your value as a person is your birthright. And this is in our universalist DNA. Universalism has long stood in contrast to a Calvinist doctrine of predestination, a doctrine that holds that only a few elect people are going to heaven. And this idea leaves people thinking, well, am I going to heaven? Or is she? Is he? I guess I'll just strive to look like I'm working really hard and doing good deeds, and maybe my actions will reveal that I'm truly one of the elect after all. And this spawns a work ethic that implies that our worth and value can be connected to our busyness, that we can know whether we are ultimately loved, acceptable, and worthy by how productive and hardworking we are. And universalism just comes along and explodes all of that. Universalism says all lives have value and you have always been worthy of love. Every person comes into this world whole and beautiful and held in holy mystery. You were born with original wholeness and original blessing. So Bring your failures, your heartbreak, your loneliness, your confusion, the jumble of your life into this place and feel yourself held here, held by the community of souls in this room, held by that ineffable mystery that keeps inviting us to say yes to life. Come in and put down your phone and your calendar and your lists and your burdens Step away from a dominant culture that belittles you and squeezes you and demands all the wrong things. And practice over and over what it means to show up, to fully show up in the spirit of love and mutual respect. Come in and show up here for some uncontaminated time, an essential ingredient in the life of the soul. Like so many of you, I'm someone who cares a lot about being present, about being a loving person, and I'm working on my spiritual practice. I try so hard to use my time well and to show up for my loved ones. And the truth is that some weeks, this church is the only place where I experience any significant measure of time that doesn't feel somehow contaminated. 
the commitments that I've made to this community, the commitment of coming to worship on Sunday, the commitment to my Wellspring group, to the circles I'm a part of, these small groups that are focused on listening and soulful reflection. These are some of the strongest tools I have to step back and to remember what is important, remember what love and generosity look like, and to remember who I'm supposed to be. Neruda puts it well, what I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it's about. So here we are at Memorial Day, after surviving polar vortexes, school closings, and months of snow and ice. We've made it. Today marks the beginning of a season of slowing down and delighting in the long days in the warm weather, in the company of those people that we're actually seeing again now that we're not hunkered down at home. I can't think of a better juncture for putting down the phone and shutting off the computer and intentionally carving out some uncontaminated time in your life. This weekend, this summer, on this day of remembrance, may we remember yet again how to live May we remember that radical notion that love is our birthright. We know who we are through how we love, how we share, and how we act upon the truth that each person is born with the same fundamental worthiness as we are. May we open ourselves to hear where love is calling us next in our lives. May it be so, and amen.